Standard Issue for all women. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Standard Issue pod scene. I'm Mickey Noonan and this week I dress my cat up as David Essex. I'm Hannah Dunleavy and this week I saw the film that's dividing the country more than Brexit, The Greatest Showman, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And now I can't believe it either. You okay, hon? And I'm Jen Offord and I think curling is cool. Full. Jen is notoriously tricky to get on a plane without milk. Later on, I talked to Liz Buckley about Lord and the Grammys. Ahead of Eating Disorders Awareness Week, we speak to Eve Simmons about her website, Not Plant Based. Mickey and I chat to the formidably talented Desiree Birch about her show Unfuckable and the time she spent working in a sex dungeon. You heard me. And I do Disney's sex dungeon. (laughs) (laughs) No, Ratatouille. But first, the youth, the parents, and you best put your brakes on, mate. It's time for the Bush Telegraph. Cue Sting. Bush Telegraph. Welcome to the Bush Telegraph, where we're as bright and leery as a pair of Norwegian curling trousers, while the rest of the world crashes downhill on a metal tray. Brilliant news at the BAFTAs, as a man took the gong for Best Supporting Actress. All right, that's not true, but it wasn't far off with women bagging just four awards, two of which were in women-only categories. Vive le change, for fuck's sake. Making a bit more of a splash at the ceremony were Sisters Uncut. The domestic violence activists stormed the red carpet wearing Time's Up Teresa t-shirts in protest of PMT Bag's forthcoming domestic violence bill, which they say will result in an increase in the number of survivors of abuse being arrested or detained. We can only hope that the Conservatives' domestic violence and abuse bill proves more than a shiny distraction from the killer cuts being made to women's refuges. But, let's face it, hope isn't going to stop two women a week being killed by their partners or former partners. Dig deep if you can and chuck some money at your local refuge. And while we're on the subject of giving to women in need, Sally Hughes' beauty banks are a cracking idea. Shoestring budgets mean that basic hygiene has become some sort of luxury, so Hughes has teamed up with the Trussell Trust to open five beauty banks across the country, collecting toothbrushes, razors, shampoo, soap and tampons to help those unable to afford the basics. You might not have access to one of Hughes' official beauty banks, but these are all products you can chuck in your local food bank, so please do. At a time when young people are portrayed as either entirely apathetic or completely bogged down in political infighting, pale, stale males on both sides of the Atlantic got a metaphorical kick in as young people united to grasp the goddamn nettle this week. In the UK, pressure group Our Future, Our Choice was launched in an attempt to deliver, and I quote, the will of the people in the under-55 population. An appearance on Sky News by one of the campaign's co-founders, Femi Olawole, put a rocket under many young people when the 27-year-old graduate who specialises in EU law spoke more sense in a few minutes than most of our politicians have in 18 months. Meanwhile, in America, the murder of another 17 people in another high school shooting and the grinding inevitability that it will happen again soon, led teenagers in Florida's Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High and across America to warn their president, their government and the NRA that they were not about to put up with this shit for much longer. As well as putting the arguments of defenders of the country's gun laws to shame, there are also plans for a national school walkout on April the 20th, the 19th anniversary of the Columbine massacre. Young people nowadays, eh? Fucking love them. It was reported on Sunday that driving instructors are being warned that sexual relationships with young students will be seen by the Driver and Vehicle Standards Agency as exploitation. 
According to the BBC, instructors who have sexual relationships with 16 and 17-year-old pupils face being punished, even if it's consensual. Can you learn to drive at 16? Uh, that isn't yeah, that... That's when you get your provision on yeah. the so you can have, like, off-road lessons. Mm. OK. Yeah, you, you just can't that, have yeah, sex you're, with the instructors. You're so, you're so young... <laughs> You can't properly get a driving license, but you are old enough to yeah. fuck an old man. Anyway. Um, or not, as the case or may not. be. Yeah. The BBC said there were 109 investigations into misconduct by driving instructors in 2016-17, including inappropriate sexual behaviour. Those found to be high risk, and that is the instructor, not the uh, not the pupil, to be clear on that. They could be removed from the approved instructor register. Hang on, what? You're not even allowed to have sex with really, really young women anymore, even if they are toped up for it. I mean, I actually can't drive. I've had the forms filled out for my provisional licence twice and even had the photo signed but never sent them off. But looking at the average driving instructor demographic, it is unimaginable that those youngsters wouldn't be up for it, right? Lesbians. I used to go out with a driving instructor. Did you? I did. There's an easy gear stick joke to be made, but I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it hanging. You know all those aggressive male Star Wars fans who don't like the fact that women love a bit of intergalactic hoo-ha? Well, they can properly jog on. Yep, that's right. A shit ton of women have for decades been telling them that birds have an equal interest in the epic space opera, but a man has now confirmed this is true. As if any more validation were necessary, the man in question not only has a cock and balls tucked in his bills, it's only bloody J.J. Abrams, the bloke responsible for directing two of the confusingly numbered franchise. Hitting out at internet trolls, sorry commenters, complaining about women, that's right, those snakes with tits, taking more prominent roles in the series, J.J.A. said the only people who had a problem with female characters were those who felt, quote, threatened by them. He did somewhat oddly acknowledge that some people, he means men, might be freaked out by more women being in the films because it is only fair to accept that some blokes are easily spooked shit weasels who consider anything above an 80-20 male-to-female gender ratio to be oppression. Also, it must be noted that basic maths means that some of the dickbags whinging about birds taking over Star Wars are probably the same fellas who rubbed their lads raw thinking of Princess Leia. A tough, outspoken, snog sushi likes broad, played by Carrie Fisher, a ball-breaking fucking legend. I love Carrie Fisher. Just whisper that. I did. I love Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. Sorry, that's weird, isn't it? Daily Mail columnist Richard Littlejohn disappointed social media users everywhere on Friday when they clicked on his name to find out why he was trending on Twitter. Professional troll Little John had gotten his knickers in a twist this week about gay men having kids after it was announced by British athlete Tom Daly and his husband Dustin Lance Black, an Oscar-winning screenwriter who he couldn't even be asked to name in the article, were expecting a baby. Little John's headline screamed, Please don't pretend two dads is the new normal, adding that most children benefited from being raised by a man and a woman, which does beg the question, where the fuck did Little John's parents go wrong? There was a sitcom in the 80s called My Two Dads. It's been normal for ages. Yeah. Thought the West had a monopoly on politicians who think they're the swinging dick round here. Well, let's take a horrified glance at the Philippines, where spam-faced despot and all-round fuckstain Rodrigo Duterte ordered soldiers to shoot female rebels in the vagina. Adding that without their vaginas, women would be useless. The comments... Which are nothing out of the usual for the guy that has previously bemoaned he wasn't there to join in with the gang rape of an Australian missionary killed during a prison riot. 
drew laughter from the assembled crowd. Congresswoman Emmy de Jesus, speaking on behalf of the Gabriella Women's Party, called Duterte a macho fascist, which, given she's essentially trying to run Mordor's branch of the Women's Equality Party, is pretty restrained. I wish her the best of luck. And he, a pox on his cock, whose pustules are without end. Oh, God, that is just so depressing and horrific. So, on that bombshell, would you like some good news, guys? Please. Yes, please. Hashtag yes, please. Okay, great. Well, it's ten points for Gryffindor this week. (laughs) And by that, I mean a hearty pat on the back to legend among women, Emma Watson who stumped up a million squid for a campaign aimed at helping people affected by harassment. Or rather, I think women affected by harassment, probably. I reckon. Well, even if it's just people, to be fair, disproportionately more of those people will be women. Are women actually people, though? Ah, jury's out. The UK Justice and Equality Fund launched a crowdfunding campaign for a new advice network for those who experience sexual harassment at work, which was set up by a collective of 200 British and Irish actresses, as well as 160 academics, activists and charity workers. The campaign acts as essentially the British and Irish wing of Hollywood's Time's Up campaign. In an open letter published in The Observer and addressed Dear Sisters, the collective of actresses, including Wunmi Masaku, who's going to be at our March show, incidentally. Kerry Mulligan, Emma Thompson and Tandy Newton, who co-signed the letter, said, We invite you to join us in donating to the new UK Justice and Equality Fund to spread the word to others and be a catalyst for change. Everyone can make a difference by using your platform, your voice and your power as a change maker. And if you'd like to join them, you can do so by visiting www.gofundme.com forward slash justice hyphen and hyphen equality hyphen fund. That's pretty catchy. We might tweet that link as well. (laughs) In case you missed out on hyphens. More hyphen news hyphen (laughs) next hyphen week. Well, you have equal pay, but, you know, they're not equal, are they? Sexism of the week. It's that time of the week when we bang our heads on the desk to the tune of Sticky Pretend Feminism Up Your Ass." Yeah, I know that's not a song yet. Here's a thing from that great champion of women's rights, The Sun, which this week decided to tackle the sensitive topics of bloating, food intolerance and failure to lose baby weight by taking a load of photos of women and asking us to guess which one of these porkers is up the duff and which one is just having a food baby? Oh, God, you just can't tell. We need to know. We should be told. Yeah. While I've no issue with reminding women that we all struggle with feeling massive and sluggish every so often, getting women to cradle their stuck-out bellies while inviting us to assess whether they are about to birth new life or just a massive fart does nothing to make anyone feel any better about themselves. What tune are we going to set this song to? Stick your pretend feminism up your ass. Stick your pretend feminism up your ass. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't scan quite right. Quite right, right. But... Yeah. yeah. Suggestions on a postcard to Hannah-Dunleavy-Song-Choices. <laughs> Further to this fuckery, a new YouGov survey of senior decision makers showed that a third of those high up in private companies thought it was fair dues to ask a woman about her baby plans at a job interview. Actually, pals, it's discrimination. And should you decide not to employ a woman because she's with child, you're breaking the law. 
I mean, fair enough. They do have a point because it is tricky to use your brain and your uterus at the same time. Oh, wait, no, no, it's not. It's actually easier than simultaneously patting your head and rubbing your belly, almost as if the thing Jen is doing that right now. Can't do it. Badly. <laughs> but, you know, if you were up the duff and thinking, Jen, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even be acknowledging you were doing it. It just happens. Almost as if the female body is geared to be able to think and be pregnant because evolution's clever like that. I'm not up the duff and I can't do it. I literally can't do it. I don't think that particularly gets easier if you are pregnant. It's not like a magic thing that No, happens. I was just saying, like, you know, I already can't do it. Go on. Oh, shut up. Can you do it? What the fuck's wrong? Oh, I can do it with the other hands. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Also, Jen, um, I hope you won't find this offensive, but um, are you sure you're not pregnant? You're just a bit bloated. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, we're joined in the studio by comedian and all-round awesome broad, Desri Birch. Hello. Hey, how's it going, Mickey? All right, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Jen's here too. Hi. Hey, hi. Jen. Hi. <laughs> hi. Mm, hi. Present. I just feel like this has quite quickly got sexy, which seems <laughs> fitting, given... <laughs> Given that we're about to do something on this table. No, given that we're going to yeah. talk about... <laughs> Mickey's going to crawl quickly it's on the... It's a good table for it. Yeah, I'm right. Saying. Well, you would know all about this, so... <laughs> Des, your show is called Unfuckable. It is, yes. Tell us about it. I don't know. It's about a lot of things. It's, you know, it's about sex and bodies and sex work, as I used to work as a dominatrix. You used and... to work in a sex dungeon. Yes, I did. Yeah. Well, a, a fetish dungeon. Nobody was actually having intercourse. It was just, like, everything around that. Outer course. Yes, exactly. And then lots of watching a wank. <laughs> to put it quite frankly is that still dogging if it's in a special dungeon is it still dogging <laughs> in asbestos no, it's, 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 dogging was like dangerous. specifically with cars yeah I thought okay. so and like people I'm not like, an expert by so the that way, just... other people can watch or something okay. is that what is yeah. involved I thought My dogging was like was like swinging but with cars no no you just meet up and, and then other people it's more like entertainment Oh. My mate once said, why don't they call it catting? Because that's how cats have sex too. And I'm like, no, no, it's because it's where people walk their dogs. That's where it comes from, uh, not from the position. I was wondering where that came from because the whole idea is not that you're just having sex al fresco, but that people are uh, encouraged to look. Whoop, holler, cheer, yeah. thank you on. I mean, this is all just stuff I've Googled, guys. This is what I know about this. <laughs> Amazing. So you worked in a fetish dungeon. I did, yeah. It was a BDSM dungeon. This was in my 20s when you do all those things. No, no. No, you did. (laughs) You make it so general. Myself and a lot more people than you think. A lot more women who are, you know, young women who are students or who are doing some other kind of career do this kind of work more than you think where you're kind of like, oh, you seem to be, you know, disappearing at odd hours to work and or got nice things and nobody knows what what you do for a living or a lot more women than you would imagine do it. And, you know, I think people like to think like, oh, it's sex work. And, you know, she must have had it so hard and did it for the money. And it's kind of like, well, every woman does whatever she does for the money. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like we're all like, oh, I just love going and being an administrative assistant for 30 years. You know, it's like we're doing for the money, you know, and and especially when you're an artist, you're kind of like, I could spend the same six hours at a part time job making $11 now. I mean, at best, or I could spend it otherwise, potentially making a lot more and kind of like my time has value. Let's do this. I mean, especially because at that point in your life, you've seen so many penises. You're just like, why not? Some of them, yes, peni, peni. <laughs> uh, you're just like, some of them should pay me. 
<laughs> Interestingly, you were a virgin when you were in this dungeon, right? I was. I was so. I'm. I'm not the only person I've heard who's who's done this thing as well, being a virgin and a dominatrix. I was 23, 24, like one of those like where you're just like sort of carrying virginity around, like, oh, dude, when do I get to like drop this? You know baggage somewhere right and and it's so weird because you're you know it's like the thing that's prized if you're like 16 or something or 15 but suddenly eight years go by and it's like what the hell's wrong with you but like also, what, what are you doing if you're a woman right yes that's true that's true if you're a man you should have sex as soon as possible as soon as you get an erection you should go put it in something <laughs> don't take my advice if also you're ask whatever it is whether they're fine with it first. yes definitely i mean i imagine if you're 10 with an erection you're going to stick it in a piece of fruit or a packet of crisps or something like it's not going to be a human person i'm impressed that a piece of, of fruit was your yeah, <laughs> food based I, well i just are you hungry right I, now i'm always hungry i just imagine that men are going to look for something somewhat similar to a packet of crisps so, you know it's going to be saying our vaginas are like a packet no of crisps. Well, no a packet of crisps came directly from a friend who told me that he did this when he was a teenager <laughs> I, I with the crisps in it. Yes, I presume. No, I presume he'd eaten the crisps, okay. and he was just in a place where that was the only place to put it. It's kind of like a posh wank, but like really not. Really yeah, I mean, maybe they were you know like Tyrells, the and they were like nice crisps, as opposed to I don't know. But uh, surely, if you've got even a tiny nick on your cock, that is. The <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's when you find salt that out. Vinegar. If you're that age, you don't understand <laughs> that salt and a scrape is going to equal. You know, you just have to find that out that the hard is, way. That is what I call sex, though. Should we have some salt and a scrape? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something someone should have ordered at my old job. <laughs> some salt and a scrape, please. <laughs> I would have got that creative. That'll be $50. <laughs> so how does it all tie into the show? And may I say... The award-nominated show now. Congratulations. Thank you, Thank you so much. Um, You're a Fritchell Award. I'm phenomenal. But if, <laughs> if you haven't seen the show, you've, you know someone who has, and they'll tell you. I'm going to toot my own horn because... You I, do it. Especially because I'm in, in Britain and nobody does that here. And I'm like, no. really? I can just brag and everyone's like, well, she must be right. I mean, look at how much she yeah. said it. Or no, everyone else is really quiet. It's like the one thing we're super jealous of Americans of, I think, really, yeah. is that... We I just don't know don't that we're jealous. That. I think we're just bitter. Yeah, I think... Yeah. Things go to, well, I just, I don't know what it is, but I feel like everybody here is just sort of raised to like keep it quiet, whether it's like sadness or suffering or joy. Stick up a lip. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Oh, as soon as you feel some sort of emotion, you bury that one. Yeah. Deep and you put it back in its box. <laughs> it's the British way. Everything in its right place. Get on yeah. in a box. Dealing with the blitz or something. Right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you think that will ever change? Do you no. think Brexit's going to change that or any form of oh, like, Brexit you know, opening up to more sort of. Uh, no. Capitalist and otherwise, I think taking Brexit advantage could only of make it worse, couldn't it? Because <laughs> like occasionally we meet French people who like aren't sexually repressed and stuff, and then like you know. The world's a different place. Once we but have to like glue up the just, tunnel. When it's all of anymore. us just yeah. here with our bitterness and like, you know, <laughs> we'll just be really, really drunk. <laughs> really drunk. We're and good very at that. sad. Yeah. yeah. That's always the way it goes mm. together. 
See, I feel like some of that, the repression, the sexual repression, like I wonder when I talk about sex in my work, because, I, you know, I had a, a previous show sort of talking about sex without the sex work, but just sex. But there's a similar, like we, you know, you bequeath that repression to us in America. We just exploit it in different ways. Like we still have all kinds of hangups about our bodies and sexuality. But, you know, at the same time, we're kind of like, oh, we're, you know, we're so fascinated by it. We're going to display the only the most sort of sanitized air brushed, hairsprayed version of it that we all fall short of and dream of being. Mm. But like we still, when it comes to personal, get a little bit like, I mean, not to the same level as as British people where it's like, don't ever turn on the lights. I genuinely think (laughs) that is the reason why we drink so much because we'd never get laid if we didn't. Oh yeah. No, it's definitely a reason you drink so much. (laughs) It it helps bury the feelings. If you put them underwater, they stay, they sink, you know? And also, I don't know if it's the danger of of failure that we all kind of fear when we kind of put ourselves out there. Like nobody wants to be seen as like actually like liking someone. It's like so yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. Um, Des is available for life coaching. So <laughs> you can tweet her at Des the Ray. Yes, you can. And I'll be like, whatever it is, don't do it. Unless I would and then totally do it. <laughs> what are the, sorry, this is a wonky question, but again, it seems for into to get this wonking out there. <laughs> what, what, are, what are the themes of Unfuckable? Yeah, okay. So I wish, like, I still am in it and don't necessarily have the distance to adequately say it. But from my perspective, it's about sex. It's about work. It's about sex work. It's about sex not becoming work. I don't know how to put it, but it's about that self-discovery that happens that way. And that's kind of why I sought that out through work, because it was the sort of the safe, I'll read a book about it version mm-hmm. of learning about sexuality. Because there's a, a truth about me in that I'm desperately attract well I'm attracted to men and women but predominantly men but they also frighten the shit out of me honestly so I think that I thought if I like did a bunch of recon I would kind of come out and be like okay now I'm prepared because if I know that I have skills if I know that I can do certain things then that takes the the vulnerability and the pressure off of me to like actually be receptive which is the the thing about sex that we want and so fear you know making it sort of performative yeah rather than yeah like a play pleasure in a way. I think women are very much brought up to act yep. the pleasure rather than actually chase their own pleasure. Yes. At wanting to please their partner rather than actually take the pleasure yes. for themselves. There's something about like don't be greedy that like your parents will tell you when you're younger that like sinks in and you kind of you can't look as that oh though you're wanting something especially when your existence is based on being wantable yeah. uh, and, and making yourself as takeable as possible ideally. Good and, sex doesn't lead to you looking attractive you're a hot no. sweaty mess yeah. pulling the weirdest Beyonce doing a performance faces out there and that's <laughs> when you know you're having a grand old time yeah. a lovely bit of scrape and salting going on there yes yes but women are taught we're supposed to be all like oh and pristine and you know not even get a glow on yeah yeah yeah, yeah a glow I love that I'm like a full-on sweat <laughs> like a full-on spin class you know yeah I think that we definitely are taught that sex is something that's not for us but happens to us or at us, you know? And I think that porn doesn't help, unfortunately. There's a lot of uh, good things about it, I think. So I've read and, you know, it's there for all of us when we need it, but it definitely doesn't. I mean, and even if you don't watch porn, you watch enough films, it's the same thing where it's just like you are meant to be looked at and consumed, you know? And so it's not your right as the product to want anything, but to make the person who attains you happy. I mean, honestly, it takes growing up because the older you get, the more you just want 
want comfort and the more you're kind of over the stream of people who are going to kind of pay you some attention. And I felt like so much of the sex in my 20s felt like you're both trying to get something and then you want to make sure you leave feeling like you got as much as you gave and you often feel like you don't and it feels like this weird math that you're trying to do of like did I did I give just enough and did I take there's this sort of war going on nothing sexier than maths yeah right And then at a certain point, you're just like, I'm going to be me and I'm going to enjoy this. And if you don't enjoy me, you can kindly get the fuck out because I realize that, like, you know, there are a lot of people in the world and I will meet. And and the person that I'm trying to be with isn't the sort of um, trophy guy that I think you often or one often can want in your 20s where mm-hmm. that's what you're taught. You're supposed to have the Prince Char- Charming or have the, you know, whatever, McSteamy or whoever it is that, you know, is supposed to look a certain way, have a certain job. And when you are with people, you realize that they're complicated and messy and they're never going to be as perfect as they look. And so for your time and money, you may as well get someone who you get along with who's just attractive enough to make you happy and just attractive enough that you can be just as attractive as you are with them. And it's a good balance. The phrase unfuckable, was that something that you felt about yourself? Yeah, it definitely has been uh, in my life. I think there are many uh, interpretations of that. There was the the sort of duality of both feeling unfuckable, unwantable, like not the thing that just not the item, not able to achieve that sort of uh, perfect product status that many of us work really hard on, to be honest. You know, even if we think we're not doing that, you know, you see a lot of women in Jim's just busting it out. And it's like, you could be fucking and burning as many calories and being happy with your... I look at women in the gym and I'd be like, I'd be happy to be any of you right now. You know, like you could be on that stair climber for longer than 10 minutes. Oh my God. What's that like? So it's both the feeling of being like, I've been fat all all my life and being black and female. It's like, there's sort of a comorbidity because there's like the... This this perception, you know, they've done that study on internet dating that like black women are seen to be the least attractive. Yeah, I read that. You know, um, a lot of it has to do with status, you know, like socioeconomic and otherwise status. Some of it is what gender tropes are as far as women need to be seen as like somehow less masculine. And if you spend your whole life being a strong black woman, which I talk about in the show, the like trap of the strong black woman, then suddenly you're punished for surviving, which is what you've had to do your whole life. So there's that the sort of feeling unfuckable but also the like taking that on as a badge of honor of like I'm unfuckable like you can't fuck me like I've learned enough like you are not fucking me like if we go to bed I'm we're fucking each other I'm fucking you too oh, I, you know? I hadn't even yes I think a lot of times when there is a, a, a term that is particularly like repressive or whatever I think eventually someone who's subject to that takes that on as some kind of badge of pride like I would do that in the black community constantly you know I think that the queer community does that and unfuckable is one of those things that nobody wants to be and it's a thing that like you can it usually gets doesn't get said to your face it gets said behind your back or on the internet and there's so many people who want to throw that around because they absolutely are themselves 
fearing that they are that thing. Mm -hmm. Fear is the biggest boner killer in the world, you know? We've all had that experience of like looking at a picture of ourselves 10 years ago and remembering all the stuff that we were worried about Mm -hmm. and all the things we were concerned with. And you're like, what was I worried about? I was gorgeous. I like my skin was great. I had the look of hope in my eyes still. Like I was stunning. Why was I freaking out? You know, and then it makes you think I'm going to think the same way about this age at some point in the future. But you never actually. They never, the Venn diagram never kind of connects and they join together. Yeah, unfortunately. So I spent. I spent so much energy and time being afraid of my own desire or expressing that or enjoying that or being seen, being seen, being seen. Right. Uh And that's kind of the point of sex. That's part of the intimacy is someone really seeing you and being like, yeah, I still want you. That's the exciting part when it works well. But you can never attain that if you aren't willing to show yeah. You know, lights mm. off, eyes closed. Yeah, exactly. That's still it's like just like you totally, and it's just kind of like no, you know, like I, I got a big body. It's got some curves. It's got some rolls. It's got some areas. You're gonna see it. Full disclosure up top. And if we still want to do this, then that's fine. And I will say on behalf of women who have not had the benefit of being fat, you'd be surprised how little people give a shit. <laughs> you'd but be surprised. It's the same with all the fucking mm. body topery that goes on as well. Yeah. Yeah. If you're with someone and that chemistry's there, no one gives a fuck. Yeah. You just want to no. go on giving a fuck. Yes, right? exactly. Like there's actually, uh, there's a mechanism in our brains that suppresses disgust when we're having sex. So like all the things that like the minute you come, you're like, oh my God, duh, what? I got to go shower, uh, clear history or whatever, you know, all of those things. Like you, two minutes before, like you keep pushing it, you know, because your brain suppresses that. So you can do all of the things that you want to do sexually, which is, you know, I at some point why we started putting our mouths on other bits you know because we're like well my mouth's pretty dirty that's dirty they both feel good let's go and then you know seconds later you're like oh my god i can't believe i stuck my tongue where (laughs) 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 but you know so you have to remember like every evolution is on your side sexually once it's on both parties tend to want to go there uh-huh. I mean, I can't speak to after because after there's sometimes regret, you know, shame. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> sometimes shame and regret. And then they go together. Right. You know, and especially if you sit there feeling like, oh, I mean, especially for women when you're like, I didn't even come, <laughs> you know, like when that happens, like that's the worst part, because like you kind of feel like the maths again, but you kind of feel like, well, if I gave and I got then, you know, it's fine. And it doesn't necessarily matter if he calls me back again, because like, I don't really want to see him, you know, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you do. Sometimes you're like with a partner that you want to be with. But a lot of times you've drunk too much and you're with someone who's anyone. The most important math sign in that is the equal sign. Yes. Yes, it is. Is no matter what functions you do on the other side, all of your PEMDAS, whatever, it's got to hit equals. You can have it to the power of pi because who doesn't love pi? Who doesn't love pi? But oh. you need it to be equal. Man, it's like if you Math just find sexy. Yeah, if you find someone who wants to have sex in bed and then eat a pie in bed with you, like keep them. No, that is. Oh, <laughs> are you not oh, a bed dear. eater? Some people are, and some people are definitely not. not. A, I know not that you are because you just situation. Situation. I mean, not, no, I mean afterward when you're just like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's have cigarettes and pie. I used to oh, date yeah, a guy yeah, who right. I used to date a guy and halfway Even, like, through he would get up and go to the kitchen halfway? to get a glass of water but he wouldn't like give me a heads up so the first time it happened I was like what the fuck is going on here <laughs> but it is thirsty work 
not yet. That's tr- but like, surely he knows that and can put a glass by the it bedside bought him, table. It bought him some time, mate. That is true. Ah, that is true. He's like, clever. I'm not, so I don't blow. Yeah. You know, to, <laughs> to, let me go refuel and then start again. That's that's wise. That's wise. Yeah, maybe everyone should. A bit disconcerting, just... though. Yeah, yeah it is. I was very yeah. confused. I mean, obviously, I didn't question him because I am but a woman. But yeah. I just like went with maybe it. Maybe he needs to construct his own halftime show that just like music starts up, you know, whenever Lady Gaga comes out and everyone just, understands. Just chucks me a couple of pom poms, not a euphemism, <laughs> and start cheering. So, Unfuckable is on at Hoxton Hall on March the 2nd. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It's uh, the first sort of leg of the tour. And yeah. so where are you going and where can people find out more information? Oh, goodness. I should say my website, but I need to update it. My website is DesireeBirch.com and it is going to get updated. I've been too busy lately to make it good. So sorry if you go there, but you can always contact me. Uh, you can join my mailing list and then you'll find out more. But also Facebook and Twitter. I'm at Desiree at Twitter and I'm always going to be announcing stuff. Nobody wants to read your whole mailing list. They just want to be like, when, where, what? how much find me on twitter that's the best way and you'll find out but yeah we'll be up in edinburgh we'll be in oxford we'll be in various places i should look at the calendar before i come in and talk on, no, on no, radio about that's it, but... that the onus on the people who want to see you yeah i'll be out. back in london again too you know later on in the spring if for some reason you can't make it to hoxton hall but it's going to be a big show at hoxton hall it's beautiful you should come to that one if you can and it'll be an epic night it's part of the female parts season yes isn't it? Amazing. Yes. We chatted to Karina Johnson, yeah. who sorted all that out. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks so much for coming in, Des. I Thank feel like you. you've opened my eyes and possibly other orifices. <laughs> <laughs> With nothing but love. Yes. <laughs> and the will for self-care. <laughs> it's going to sound so progressive at the end of this. I've been so filthy. <laughs> Hi, we're here in the studio with Eve Simmons. Hello. Hi, Eve. Hi. Eve is from the website Not Plant Based, and she's here to speak to us about Eating Disorder Awareness Week, which is this week. Hello, thank you for having me. Thanks very much for coming in. Tell us a little bit about Not Plant Based. So Not Plant Based is a safe haven for people who, well, for everyone really, but we set up with a mind to help people who may have struggled with eating disorders or disordered eating. But essentially, it's just a celebration of food and a place to dispel dietary and health myths and encourage everybody to have a healthy appetite and love food again. Does it come from a place of personal experience? Yes, it does. So originally we started my my comrade, Laura, who founded the website. She has a history of bulimia um, and for a while she was in journalism, as am I. She kind of had this on the back burner, like it was something that she wanted to do. I had just come out of a long spell of treatment for anorexia, uh, which happened very, very quickly And it was a a big surprise to me that I had an eating disorder because I've always had a great relationship with food. So it was a bit like, whoa, that's weird. Anyway, so I came out of it. And as I'm a writer, I started to write about it and had a couple of big pieces that were quite well received, published. Laura found them, got in contact with me, uh, told me that she was about to set up this website. And I said, please, can I come too? Uh, (laughs) And she was like, yes, of course. And the rest is history. Obviously, eating disorders have existed for a long time. Mm -hmm. But are you seeing an impact of things like social media on young women? Undoubtedly, yes. 
I'd stress, and I, I always try and say this, that that social media doesn't cause eating disorders because I do think that that's quite a reductionist way to look at it. And and obviously, you know, you don't want to downplay the traumatic, serious mental illness that, that it, they are. But I think that it certainly contributes in maybe slightly tipping people over the edge if they might already be vulnerable to developing some sort of mental illness. And that can be any mental illness. But I think that with regard to eating disorders, there is so much on Instagram, especially from anything from visual images of women. I'm going to say women because it is mainly women and their washboard abs that are completely unattainable and no one's ever going to be able to look like but they're everywhere and they're all on your feed and they're going to make you feel anxious and insecure about yourself but there's also a whole host of quote unquote nutritional therapists or nutritional somethings or whatever they call themselves without any qualifications who are hosting themselves on a platform of which anyone can read the information that they're putting out there and it isn't necessarily based on any science or any evidence uh, and it's trying to inform people about their food choices and tell them what they should eat and what they shouldn't eat and I think it causes a lot of anxiety and I see that in a lot of our readers, I see that in a lot of my personal peer group, I saw it in myself and I find that deeply concerning. I am 35 years old and I have no interest in the fucking Kardashians whatsoever but it does not take me very long to fall down like a Kardashian sort of hole. like yeah a hole, but not in that quite, <laughs> and and feel like a slug quite quickly, basically. Jen once and, said to me, whenever she looks on Instagram, she quite quickly feels like a potato. Yeah, and and I'm the first person who said that. I've heard that many times. Do you see this like primarily in younger people, or is it people of all ages that are affected by things like this? I think that it is people of all ages it's really difficult because when you look at the statistics mostly they come from diagnoses and the problem with that is that older women and men are perhaps less likely to present themselves into services also there are a lot of people who maybe are already within services certainly inpatient services who are older and so they that's kind of like very long running eating disorders chronic eating disorders who might already be in services so new diagnoses you're more likely to get the younger crop I guess but yeah I think social media affects everybody in a negative way it can also affect everyone in a positive way but with regards to this topic I think it is definitely cross-generational and it's not just the young people that are affected because everybody is looking for an answer for something that there is no answer to Um, and most people spend most of their life looking for that so social media gives them an answer that you know they they hang on to. The upside of social media and the internet is that you can access people and people can access you and people can be put in touch with someone who perhaps understands. How much response have you had? I don't know how to describe it. The only way I could describe it is letting you know that every day I'll have we'll have like at least ten messages from from people who are getting in contact with us asking for some sort of support. Sometimes it's just somebody who's maybe for a lot of their life have been told that they're fat and they need to lose weight and they don't really know what to do and they're struggling because they feel rubbish about themselves and and they just want to be able to eat a pint of Ben and Jerry's because they feel like shit and they don't know 
how else to make themselves feel better and they just want to ask us if that's okay and we're like yeah crack on please do sometimes it's girls who are in treatment and can't get access to services because they're on NHS waiting lists or sometimes it's people who haven't accessed services because they're too embarrassed and they don't know what to ask their GP so there's a whole host of of support that we're trying to offer and I'm very conscious that neither Laura or I are qualified to do that in terms of the actual qualifications I mean the only thing that we really have to offer is our own personal experience but yeah I think that it's great that there's social media has has meant that we can influence people in terms of kind of alleviating anxieties and and hopefully allowing people to make peace with food and with themselves and and stop worrying so much about it which for me was was the real kind of reason why I wanted to do this was because I felt like people worry so much about something that you should not like there's no reason to worry about it it's just enjoy it and that's the only rule it has been a positive thing social media in terms of connecting with voices that are positive and that are empowering but I do think that it's it's very important that we take the negative aspects of it very seriously, I think. Because there are sites that are like dedicated to thinspiration and all sorts of quite dodgy rabbit holes that people who are vulnerable, which are people with men- mental illnesses, and that is where disordered eating comes from, mm. are quite happy to slip down. Mm. If you're not on your own, if this is something that loads of other people are trying to attain, it's easier to think you're in control of it because I think a lot of disordered eating I've struggled in the past with bits and pieces is to do with when the rest of my life has spiralled out of control that is something I can do I can make myself thinner I can make myself take up less space and then maybe that'll make me feel better because I'm achieving something Hmm. I mean that's absolutely you hit the nail on the head what it is I think for a lot of people it is about control well done (laughs) um I think it is completely, undoubtedly about control. But I think that that manifests in different ways for different people. And the whole inspiration thing, yes, those websites are out there and there may be some people accessing them. But I do feel like propelling that image of the, you know, stereotypical anorexic girl searching for inspiration websites online, I don't think that that's necessarily everybody. And I worry that that, that image can make these people who are very sick and very vulnerable look a bit like they're making their situation worse actively. I personally never accessed any sort of inspiration site and and a lot of people who I've com- come into contact with in services who have had eating disorders wouldn't go near them. So I, I think that, that that's, that's something that maybe for some people is a thing, but not for everyone. But what worries me is that now with social media, there's so many accounts and Instagram people or whatever, influencers, whatever you want to call them. I think that it's almost becoming a disguised form of inspiration. Yeah. Mm. And it it kind of like infiltrates the brain like little gnats and stays there and then grows. I think we're sold as women that we are supposed to take up less space as well in the world in general. And that's the easiest in inverted commas way to achieve it i suppose completely and and it is all about that this the total sum of of your self-worth is what you look like for women mm. i think more so than men and although that doesn't cause eating disorders i think it is a massive issue in terms of certainly getting better it's a very easy place i think for a woman to go if she's not 
feeling great about other things in her life. Yeah, I mean, I know that whenever I'm feeling a bit rubbish, I'll automatically feel, I just don't like the way I look. I'm feeling a bit tubby, or like all of a sudden I'll look in the mirror and I've grown like three extra thighs. Yeah, I always think I'm doughy and it feels like my mm. skin feels different. Like there's more fat immediately under the surface. And it's, I am quite a smart woman. I'm not like an academic, but I'm fairly smart. And it doesn't make sense when I say it now. But when I'm in that place, it's real. And that's what, for me, when I was diagnosed with anorexia, it it was such a shock because I never thought that could ever happen to me. I've always loved food and I never had any issue. And so the message that I really wanted to get out there was that this can happen to anyone. And once you're on that downward spiral, it's very easy for those little moments where you say, like, I feel a bit doughy and I feel a bit rubbish because I'm, I'm not very happy at the moment. If that's continued and then you're in a place in your life where something happens or for whatever reason and you decide to diet, you then enter into this spiral. And I mean, I did. And very quickly, within a few months, I had anorexia and I ended up in hospital for six weeks, um, which was the most traumatic thing I've ever been through in my life. And that can be avoided in some cases if you don't enter into this rabbit hole and you don't kind of continue to think that the only way that you're going to gain control is by dieting and I think that it doesn't mean that you have to have some sort of history of horrendous trauma in your life to experience that it can happen very easily and very quickly. It's a mental illness like alcoholism where you you have to recognize it before you can seek help what should people do if there's someone they're worried about? It's a really difficult one to advise across the board because I do think Mm. these things are so individual But I think the most important thing is to try and understand or at least have a conversation with the person about what is going on in terms of their life. I know it's really, really difficult not to focus on the food. I mean, even when I try and do things for people with eating disorders especially when anorexia is involved. I'm in the process of arranging like a supper club thing and I'm thinking, is there a way where I can make sure that there's loads of food so that so that we can actually get some more calories into some of these people that need to be... And then I have to stop myself doing that because actually it's not about the food and although you might see someone that you think looks really sick and you do, it's an instinct. You want to make sure that they're eating because you want to make them better. I mean, you know, my family were like that. Everyone around me was like that. But I think it's actually really important to take that element away and just look at the emotion around the situation. Why has this happened? What might they be going through in their head? And just let them know that you're there and it's safe for them to talk to you if they so wish. That's and really don't good advice. don't make loads of like creamy pasta sauces and try right. and feed it to them because it won't it's work. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because with alcohol, it's easier said than done to try and make someone stop drinking. But it's all or nothing, you can say. You clearly are unable to to do it in moderation. With food, it's something you can't get away from. Food is there. You have have to eat. In the same way that when people Mm. want to say, do you know, I think now you might be getting to the point where your health is affected Mm. by the fact that you you weigh too much. The answer isn't, well, they just stop eating in the same way that it would be with alcohol or with drugs. It's not like you can just stop going to restaurants. Exactly. You can stop going to the pub and like maybe not put yourself in that situation. It's something we we need it as fuel, even if that's all you see it as, you need it as fuel. Yeah. It's hard because it it is something that is such a key component of being a human being. Yeah. You can't, you know, you can't take food out of a life. And also for, not just in terms of fuel or, 
or food, but in terms of all of the things that come with food. When I was unwell, I missed out on lovely family dinners or like meals with my boyfriend or I used to love baking and I just stopped baking or I would make these like really shit disgusting sweet potato things that like went in the bin <laughs> and and there's all of that stuff which I think we we're so used to now thinking about food about in terms of nutrients and sugar and fats and carbs and what's going to be good for your body and your body is a temple and what can you feed your body and what's going to what macros are going to sustain your whatever workout you're doing that's just a load of shit and it's like not helpful to anyone and it's i don't think it's healthful either i think that food is in so many ways life and we have to embrace all of the different ways in which we enjoy food in terms of how we're enjoying it as well a lot of it's bollocks anyway isn't it like this idea that people need to eat protein bars and things like that to like go to the gym like it's just not oh it's a, a lot of food is literally marketed oh, yeah, yeah that is yeah. literally absolute bullshit like you have a chicken breast that's what any dietitian would say have yeah. and most breast. people would get like what they need in terms of protein from their normal diet and certain food groups get demonized like people being scared of carbs that's what I hate. i'm scared of carbs yeah. jen's scared of carbs but yeah. also there's a weird politics around food anyway the idea that women should eat quietly which is what we were discussing <laughs> Previously, the oh sort God, of women on the tube eating, like, yeah. Oh, shut up! People take yeah. photos and try and shame yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there is a kind of odd sort of gender politics around mm. food. As I mean, obviously, mm. it's not just women and girls mm. it affects because it, it does affect men too. But it is a much higher proportion. It's not only the gender politics around food, which are definitely there, but I think there's poverty politics as well. We're made mm. to feel guilty. I think women who have disordered eating, the, the line, there are people who aren't choosing to starve and you're starving yourself gets thrown out there. And it's like in the Western world, we do, we're able to have the choice of what we eat and a big range of food. Yeah. Mm. And to then use it to punish people who are clearly struggling with that yeah. seems, you know, out of order. Yeah, I think it's choice, isn't it? Because with a lot of choice comes anxiety, I think, and worry. And, yeah, that's and, a really good point. And that's what happens, that people, there's they're bombarded with so many different options. So let's just opt out. Let, yeah, mm. and so many different messages as well from, like, our government being like, oh, let's have 100 calorie snacks a day, like because we should be teaching children to look at calories from the age of three, because that's healthy. Yeah. And, 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 you know, just have some carrot sticks and hummus. Well, OK, that's good for the people who know what hummus is. But there are a lot of people in this country who, who won't even have ever gone near a pot of hummus or have yeah. any clue what that is. I actually have to say I, I did not encounter hummus until I went to university. Case in point. Thank you very much. Yeah. Mm. Or and pesto, also, for that matter. <laughs> did you have them together in one like Were you just like, oh, yeah. I just, I just, Here's a sandwich. No, I just rubbed them on a Finder's crispy pancake, which <laughs> is what we were, we grew up on. I just dipped a bird's eye fish finger <laughs> into the pot of pesto. Yeah. One end in pesto, one end in hummus. But that's another point. I mean, women of my mom's generation, were re I get really slammed for like the fact that they fed us out of a freezer, basically. We didn't really eat a huge my amount of like, like... Frozen stir fry. Yeah. That's just ridiculous, isn't it? Frozen stuff. Nonetheless, my mum had three kids and worked a full time job. I mean, that's we are out of the freezer. But that's the point, isn't it? That all of this nutrition nonsense and these these messages bombarding people and wagging the finger at people, telling them that they're not eating and they're not eating the right foods, or they should be, you know, women should be standing at home slaving over a, a stove all all day. Well, okay, great, but now women work, so they can't do that. And I think that all of those messages, I think it's all just 
if once you start kind of like scratching the surface and pulling it all away, you realise that it is all about just trying to make women fit into a box which they don't fit into anymore. And also for the freezer is a great source for a lot of people. Fish fingers are actually very nutritionally dense. A brilliant Are they? Yeah. Because you have That is great. You news. have a good source of protein. Good, easy source of protein. They're quick. You put them in front of kids. Most most kids like them. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's an easy, cheap way to feed your children. Frozen spinach. Oh, frozen yeah. spinach is frozen great. Spinach. Frozen yeah. peas are great. That's what Jen lives on. We just literally outlined Jen's diet. (laughs) Fish fingers, frozen spinach. Also, baked beans on toast is a great nutritional... Baked beans are one of your five a day, which which I find quite staggering. Mm -hmm. um, And everyone goes on about the sugar in them, but actually... A lot of dietitians have said to me that for the tiny, tiny amount of sugar that you have with a portion of beans on toast, the amount of fibre and goodness that's in those beans way outweighs the tiny little pinch of sugar. What about the ozone layer, though? We can't all be eating loads of baked beans. That's going to cause, that's going to blow things up. I think that's a separate podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where can people find you, Eve? People can go to www.notplantbased.com or at notplantbased on Instagram or at notplantbased on Twitter or Facebook. And I am Evie Simmons on Twitter. You need to be a bit um, more confident about that. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Because I had to change my handle because someone tr- someone pretended to be me on Facebook. So I got really paranoid and then changed it on all my Instagram. Yeah, so thanks very much. That was really interesting. Yeah, it was. It's not a topic that's going away at all. So thank you very much for coming in and talking to us. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Singing Hello, I am in The Fellow in King's Cross on York Way with the wonderful Liz Buckley, our music guru. Hi Liz. Hello, thank you for coming to the pub. (laughs) Oh, uh, you're welcome. (laughs) Liz has come to the pub today (laughs) to talk about Lord. I have, yes. By 21, I did say this to Liz and it's quite the confession. I think the thing I'd done by 21 that I was most proud of was a massive poo that I had to attack with a bleach bottle. And we can both agree that Lord has achieved more. She's done way more than I. <laughs> I feel terrible now because the main thing I wanted to talk about was her Grammys. <laughs> We're comparing it to poo and a bleach bottle. I have framed that poo. I haven't framed that She's poo. She's going to be writing an article about you. For the She'll be taking Post. out some sort of advert. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Lord. If someone hadn't heard of Lord, what would you tell them? I tell them she's achieved a hell of a lot by the age of 21. I mean, she was first discovered when she was 13, so she's actually been at this a long time. It might seem a brief amount of time since she was discovered, but she's been in development, as they call it, in major record labels. <laughs> you know, she was doing covers and stuff. She started off doing Kings of Leon and Duffy and things like that. Yeah, and she's very much in control of her own output, so her manager basically got all that set up for her. And she basically went, can you just give me a minute and I'll write some songs? Rather than assuming that I need to have a songwriter, you know, I'm 13, give, give me a moment and I'll be back with you. I was genuinely surprised talking about the age thing when I was doing a little bit of research, aka Google, that she was 21. I thought she was still... 17, but that's right. when she kind of came on the scene. I think she was 16 when Royals was enormous, and that's obviously her 
debut single, first EP. So yeah, 16 then, and obviously we all think of our friends as the age they were when we first met them. Yeah. So she's saddled with that. But yeah, 21 now. And also, you're very aware, I think, when someone that young is away for any amount of time, because every sort of passing year feels enormous, especially if you're also a teenager. You've discovered your new favourite artist and they haven't put out a record for three years. That's huge. You've literally not grown up with them. Lord doesn't just appeal to teenagers. She's no. totally won a much bigger slice of the market. Yeah. A sort of Kate Bush character. I know that's the go-to comparison mm. for her. Well, I mean, that's just because it's very accurate. <laughs> I think a lot of people refer to that. I mean, she's got a wonderful lisp, actually. So I think that there's a fondness in the Kate Bush comparison. You know, like when she sings the terror and the horror and the glamour. And she basically goes, the terror and the horror and the glamour. <laughs> it's that Kate Bush thing of... She's got a very round mouth and everything's very lush and well articulated and well enunciated. She says, I love you with my breathing. <laughs> it's, That's uh, quite creepy. Oh, do you think? Well, I guess she's got a gothic edge, but I, don't, I think she's I've quite sensual as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love you with my breathing. He's like, get off my face. I'm a <laughs> Well, maybe you should sing your cat lord. Okay, I'm going to try that. Thanks, Liz. Thanks for the tip. There was a particular reason that you wanted to talk about Lord, and that reason yes. was the Grammys, right? Yes. So the Grammys were a few weeks ago, and Lord won two for the first album, and then she was nominated for her current album, Melodrama, which came out last year, which she didn't win. And she took out a full-page advert in sort of the biggest New Zealand newspaper when she didn't win, which may sound like sour grapes, but actually she was the only woman in the album of the year category for the Grammys, which is ridiculous. The Grammys had properly gone for it with the whole, we're being feminists, we're championing women, this is all about women being amazing, and then failed to deliver pretty much apart from who was performing i wouldn't even say on that front actually i mean she was the only nominee not to be asked to perform solo she was invited to perform in celebration of tom petty but not herself i mean I you love know tom petty. i love great, tom petty but, but it's, it's no. a bit of a kick in the teeth isn't yeah. it like, you know you're great at celebrating bowie why don't you celebrate tom petty she released a statement saying that she basically was very upset about the way that women had been treated at the ceremony and the organizers did respond they said that there wasn't that much room on the bill and you know you've only got so much room for certain people but you have to bear in mind (laughs) well worse you have to bear in mind that sting and shaggy performed twice for a collaborative album that isn't even released yet i'm really upset that you've reminded me Worse than men, Mickey. Sting and Shaggy. It was, I mean. There was a lot of dreadful things said in response, and that (laughs) it it illustrated how unaware the Grammys are, actually, of how much they let women down, that they really didn't realise they deserved the criticism. They were defensive, so... What did they say that was so defensive? Well, the Recording Academy president said that it was down to women to step up and that they would be better represented. Why is it always (laughs) on us? If we made a bit more of an effort... And that he'd actually never experienced any... Hang on, let me find the quote. This is why I have him in notes, because I don't want to misquote this idiot. She's good. He said, I don't have any personal experience of those brick walls that you face. No, you don't, because you're <laughs> going to get angry. Well, this is why I wrote it down, because it's so infuriating. He has no idea that he is that very brick wall that we face. Because I'm going to call them prick walls from now on. He's a prick wall. Ooh, clever. She posted a picture of herself and Jay-Z with Prez. <laughs> it's my Prez. Oh, okay. That's yeah. what's wonderful about Lord, uh, Lord, actually, is that she's 21. She's very young. And she has these amazingly mature stances on 
you know, quite complicated world issues, but she would also go, OMG, her Instagram and her Twitter is all like, I'm super well, I'm living my best life, you know, all of those sort of things. And then she will do very well thought through, incredibly articulated statements, like on the back of her Grammys dress, she had an extract uh, from an essay by Jenny Holzer, Rejoice Only Dire Times Can Necessitate the Overthrow of Oppressors. This isn't an OMG kind of girl, <laughs> you know, wow. she's... She was swigging from a hip floss throughout as well. She's a mix oh, of things. I love her. <laughs> Do you think she'll be my friend? Can I try and be friends, Lord? <laughs> we can give it a go. Well, she's on Twitter, will we? Oh, let's make friends with Lord. Let's take Everyone it to the incredible Let's too. all make friends with Lord. <laughs> there were a lot of statements from within and without the music industry about how poor their attitudes towards women were. It's not just Lord. I had uh, Janelle Monet. She introduced Keisha with, uh, we have the power to undo the culture that does not serve us. That was her statement when she came on stage. There was 86 categories in the Grammys. It's a hell of a long show. That is a massive show. 17 female winners. I mean, I am a very cynical person, and I think it's hard not to be these days, but it feels the whole women power we are using this to champion women was just a gimmick. For sure. I mean, I wouldn't even say they went as far as being a gimmick. They had absolutely no idea how they even would do that. Underrepresenting women's achievements is uh, what they managed to do. 17 wins out of 86, it's 50% of the population. I don't think the nominees were much better as a ratio. You're contributing to that lack of visibility that stops equality. They're they're actually, I should say, not just underrepresenting women, terrible at representing hip-hop which is one of the biggest genres in america and people like drake actually frank ocean various people from all over the different genres don't actually submit work to be judged by the grammys because they see them as so irrelevant now that's interesting though that if people who are huge in that genre aren't even wanting to get involved no exactly they're they're, i mean it's not even a snub it's just disinterest i don't want lord to be lumped in with the sort of white feminism that she's making a stance in order to look after herself it seems a bit petulant to kind of release a statement because she didn't win so I don't want to sort of say that you know she's basically just going stamping her feet going what about me she most certainly looks after everybody that's underrepresented so hip-hop you know her posting a picture of Jay-Z going my president yeah (laughs) she's not just going I didn't win if anyone hasn't heard Lord how would you describe her music she is all over the shop. I mean, the arty crowd will claim her just as much as the Taylor Swift fans will. So, I mean, you know, you will you will get a lot of beats in there. You will get... I mean, it is teenage bedroom pop, but actually she doesn't really play an instrument, but she will stand on stage playing a sampler, you know. So she is quite experimental. There will be torch ballads. There's one on a new album that is pure queen, actually. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's almost Love like Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, my God. I'd say there's something for everyone. I mean... Yeah, she's she and she's also incredibly well established as part of the mainstream. I mean, considering that she will be there in a sort of, you know, flower crown with sort of otherworldly makeup. She's also, you know, been invited to be the singer for Nirvana when they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and, you know, she obviously was the artists that they had to celebrate Bowie. Went, She's great at paying tribute to men, right? <laughs> well, that's why she didn't do Tom Petty, <laughs> I think. It's like too much of her niche, really. But I mean, you know, if you've got basically two years music industry experience behind you and people are going, yeah, you're the person to represent Bowie, his touring bands were the backing band for Lord, so, you know, totally and utterly 
it's respect a great being paid to her as well as to him. I was in no way a criticism. And actually, Duncan Jones, Bowie's son, thought that her tribute was amazing, not so complimentary of Lady Gaga's. Let's never think <laughs> of Lady Gaga's tribute to Bowie ever again. <laughs> How are we describing her? I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one because she yeah, is uh, all do- sorts of things. I mean, she cites Fleetwood Mac actually as her main influence. Oh, Stevie Nicks, I exactly. Think so. Is that flower power kind yeah. of thing again? So that's certainly there. But, you know, you sort of think about some of her other influences. Like she actually said T.S. Eliot's sentence structure is how she writes. Her mother's a poet. A Croatian poet actually and she names her as her biggest writing influence but like there's also stuff like which well, there's certainly a lot of hip hop in there so you know even though there is a 70s torch song thing there, there's also a Dell in there undoubtedly but like you know you think about Royals it's kind of got a nursery rhyme quality you know like Shirley Ellis's clapping song yeah it's got a you know like gold teeth grey goose tripping in the bathroom all that sort of thing it's uh carry on Luke <laughs> I've had a wine. But she's also nerdy, you know. She sort of talks about, like, replicating her own staging cardboard to work out the logistics of her stage show. She sees all the boxes and she's ticking them or questioning them. Yeah, I mean, she's sort of, like, the perfect storm of intelligence, ability, humour, humility, charisma. There's no sort of things about the way she's bolshy or she hits it the wrong mark or... She's very, very witty, She's really very aware, and she's growing up in public too, which is awful. Basically, I was aware of her because friends of mine's teenage daughters loved her, and you're like, well, she, like you say, she's a good role model, and it's interesting to see that in action. Who are my friends' teens looking up to? She definitely seems like somebody that they adore. I mean, you know, and, and in a relatable way, not in a wholesome Taylor Swift way. I mean, yeah. as lovely as Taylor Swift is, but, you know, Lord swears and she has opinions. Lord will put things out there, she'll get things wrong, she'll make mistakes, and then she'll say, I fucked that up, and she literally she, will say, I fucked that up. She's a human woman. Yeah. <laughs> and on that bombshell, we're going to go and get another wine. <laughs> Thanks very much for coming in, Liz. Thanks for inviting me to the pub. Hello. A bit of an unusual interlude. Unusual but smashing. Trudy Howson, the UK's inaugural LGBT poet laureate, has very kindly recorded one of her poems for us so that we can celebrate LGBT History Month, which goes on for all of February. Trudy writes poetry that illuminates and explores the LGBT community's diverse landscape and celebrates internationally recognised LGBT days. She also responds to events that impact on the community and champions its rights and needs. And you can follow Trudy on Twitter at LGBT Poet Laureate. The poem she's recorded for us is called We Are, and there is a piano accompaniment by Nigel Stewart. We are water, air and matter, blood, bone, sinew and flesh, electrical impulses. We are dust and ashes. We're all the same under our skin, bleed the same colour blood, cry happy or sad salt tears. We are special, extraordinary. We're lucky to be alive, dead lucky, hostage to fate and fortune, gay, lesbian, bi, trans, non-binary. We are you, me, them. We're the same and different, frightened, frail and disillusioned, brave, bold and beautiful. We are a community. 
You play ball like a girl! Go on, do one, kid. Jenny off the blocks. Welcome to Jenny Off The Blocks, that time of the week where we chuck ourselves face first at the dragon's tail, not really knowing what the dragon's tail actually is, and come out victorious anyway. That time, indeed, where we chat all things women's sports. Of course, I am referring to the skeleton competition at the Pyeongchang Olympics last week, in which the most wonderful Lizzie Arnold made history... Lizzie won gold in nail-biting style on Saturday after going into the third and fourth heats in third place with teammate Laura Dees just behind her in fourth. But she gave it her all and finished on top with Dees in the bronze medal position and joining her on the podium. Having successfully defended her title from the Sochi Games, Yarnell became the first Brit ever to successfully defend a Winter Olympics title and the first skeleton athlete ever to defend an Olympic title. So we throw our hats off to her because what an amazing achievement. Now I've got to say I watched all of the heats over two days and it was quite remarkable stuff. I was screaming and shouting, watching the little green clock tick along on the screen and that is what I personally love about the Olympics. How often do you think realistically I watch skeleton competitions? Because I mean I actually can't remember the last time I watched one. But you can still feel that passion and excitement and emotional investment in what the athletes are doing. And I don't think that's as easy to tap into in big money sports like football. I mean, outside of a World Cup, obviously, because the World Cup is fucking awesome. Anyway, speaking of emotions, there were some less happy ones for Elise Christie, who, after crashing out in the short track 500 metre final, followed suit in the 1500 metre semi final. Christy had to be stretched off the ice after she collided awkwardly with the barriers surrounding the track. And it was so sad to watch, especially since she was disqualified from all three of her events at the Sochi Games. And of course, it has now been decreed that the reigning world champion across three different distances has an Olympic curse, which seems plausible. I think we can all agree. Anyway, Christy is currently wearing a protective boot, having ruptured a tendon, but she still hopes to compete in Tuesday's 1,000-metre event. So if you're listening to this on Wednesday, you'll know whether or not she made it through to Thursday's final. Video action replay debates were alive and well after a controversial defeat of GB's women in the curling competition by Sweden. Eve Muirhead, who you'll have heard me chatting to on last week's podzine, had her final stone disallowed, handing the Swedes victory. Now... This leaves them in a slightly tricky predicament in sixth place, having played six, lost three and won three. Only four teams go through and they have Switzerland, Japan and Canada still to play. And by the time you hear this, we will know their fate. Honourable mention to Mr T, yes that's right, he of the A-team and Rocky fame, who has taken something of a shine to what I'm calling a fairly niche sport, the curling, and in particular the women's contest. Tweeting last week, he said... Like I said before, curling is not as easy as it looks. I must be honest with you, that little broom reminds me of my Swiffer Sweeper. I'm just saying. Anyways, I see curling as a finesse sport, more straight and controlled strength, not brute strength like when I was a bouncer. Oh no. And he added, I like curling, it's less wear and tear on the body. I wrestled, boxed and studied martial arts. I have nothing else to prove. Therefore, I choose curling. Hashtag... Curling is cool. Full. 
I mean, I could actually just read you all of Mr T's tweets from last week, all of them, in which he admonished the US men's team for too much jibber-jabber and praised Norway's wardrobe warfare. But I digress, as always. Some good news for Team GB, as its youngest member Izzy Atkin also made history last week, taking home Great Britain's first ever skiing medal with a bronze in the women's slope-style final. Lovely stuff. That's all from me, and indeed from Mr T for this week. Next week we are gig casting, so I get a little break. But please do give me a shout on Twitter in the meantime. I'm at InspireGen, and we'll be back in a couple of weeks with more women's sport. Welcome to Dunleavy Does Disney. Dunleavy, what Disney did you did this week? This week, I watched 2007's Ratatouille. This is another one of those Disney Pixar projects that comes with a rather complicated backstory, the long and short of which is Pixar made this after it ended its original co-production deal with the House of Mouse and was casting around for another partner but then ended up signing another deal with Disney. So although it was released by Disney, it's probably the film in which Disney had the least creative input of anything released under that banner. I had never seen it in full before. I'd seen bits of it when I was around small children. But I had been on the Ratatouille ride at Disneyland, which actually proved to be an incredibly stressful experience (laughs) for me. Is it because you were trying to escape... No. Were you having to crawl quickly through some vegetable <laughs> stew? No, what what happened was, I've mentioned this before, I went on a press trip yeah. to Disneyland. Called some kids a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we had like these passes, which meant we could go to the front of queues, which I've never felt particularly comfortable. Were you tall enough to get on the doing. ride? I was tall enough to get on the ride. But we'd gone to, to Paris in October, and it'd actually been like quite pleasant in October in this country. And I'd had a little check to see what the weather was like. And they were saying it was roughly the same as it was here. And I got to Paris, and it was absolutely freaking freezing, unbelievably cold. So we decided we were going to go on the Ratatouille ride. We get to push in the queue, which makes me feel quite uncomfortable. And the Ratatouille ride is basically you get on this thing that looks a bit like a waltzer. Almost immediately that I sat down in the seat inside, I thought, oh, shit, I'm really hot. Because I was wearing literally all the clothes that I'd taken to Paris because it was so cold. And they give you these 3D glasses. And I thought, oh, fuck, I've got to to take some layers off. But I started to pull one of my jumpers off. And I forgot that I had the 3D glasses on. And the the jumper got caught on the top of my head, like with the 3D glasses. And I was trying to get my arm out of it. And at that minute, the thing that holds you into the ride came down. <laughs> and I basically went the entire way around the Ratatouille ride with only one eye exposed <laughs> and a jumper on my head and one of my hands basically trapped inside like this and spinning around in a circle with all of these things flashing at you and it was actually incredibly stressful. I know, that, that sounds very like when I try to take a sports bra off after it's got a bit wet. <laughs> and you think, I, I live like this now. I'm afraid this out there. That sounds quite dangerous, yeah, Disney. I would say, well, I think perhaps, you know, if you take your kid on it, you take their glasses off before you take their jumper off. And when you're an adult, you're supposed to just know... Be able to do that. To be able to do like this, this without... Another great time to talk about Isadora Duncan. But, um, yeah, possibly. Yeah. 
But, I mean, from what I saw with the one eye that was exposed with the 3D glass on, which I think probably takes away from the Some concept of 3D, of 3D yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was actually quite good. It's like just the having rise. the red quality street wrapper yeah. over your eye instead <laughs> of the green exactly. one. Exactly. Limit your depth perception a little bit. <laughs> Have you guys seen it before, managed to watch it? I hadn't seen it before but it'd been on my radar as one thing that i thought i would enjoy so it was it was nice to watch it guess what guys Jen Jen did not do her homework. homework no i didn't soz she has just moved house so i'm uh, gonna i'm gonna let nice. her off with that more excuses next week mm. <laughs> did you like it yes yes i did Yay. as you can imagine i have one major issue with it because i'm like that But let's get to that later. I'm not going to do much of a plot description of this because, if anything, it's actually got a surfeit of plot. It's got an A plot, a B plot, C, D and E plot. There's a lot of stuff going on and it's a long film. It's an hour and 50 minutes, which might be the longest film we've actually done in this series yet. It doesn't feel long, though. It's pretty fast-paced, isn't it? Yeah. It's about Remy, a rat, who wants to become a chef and he gets separated from his family, ends up in Paris at the restaurant of his favourite chef, the now deceased Auguste Gusteau. It's a tailor's oldest time. Yeah. A once many-starred culinary favourite who lost favour after a bad review, which is actually in the least fun of all my Dunleavy Does Disney fun facts today, based on a real story about a famous French chef who committed suicide after losing one of his Michelin stars. Mm. Yeah, odd inspiration Perfect for a children's film. Yeah. So Remy's arrival at the restaurant coincides with that of a new kitchen grunt, Linguini, and together they manage to con everyone into thinking that the new boy is actually a great chef. Now, like I say, there is loads of subplot about an illegitimate son and a will, there's a budding romance and a horrible food critic, and the question of whether Remy will ever return to his family. But you're not getting any more from me because I don't want to spoil it from you. Because I actually think people should watch it because it's actually very, very good. First up, the animation is immense. There's underwater drama. There's hordes of rats descending on places. There's steam rising from freshly cooked food. There's chases through the streets of Paris. It's genuinely gorgeous to look at. Secondly, it's got a great cast doing great things, not least it's two leads. Remy, who's played by Patton Oswalt, who cards on the table is genuinely one of my favourite stand-up comedians, is terrific. Have you ever seen, uh, I think it's on Netflix, have you ever seen My Weakness is Strong, his stand-up show? No, is it like a Netflix special? No, I think they just picked it up. There's an incredibly funny bit about when... I like him on Twitter. About when, he's very good on Twitter, about when he goes to, he and his wife go and look at a house. And when they get there, the people aren't expecting, clearly weren't expecting people to turn up and view the house. And what he actually, he's pretty convinced that what he's walked into is the aftermath of of an orgy. And it's very, very funny. And it puts the word, it put the word fuck squatch into uh, common usage, which is... Fuck squatch. Fuck squatch. Oh, I mean, that's a certain sort of squelch there, isn't it? No, 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 no. It sounds squelchy. No, it's a reference to... Sasquatch. Sasquatch, yeah. Isn't that Bigfoot? It's like Bigfoot, yeah. But it's Bigfoot, but who's just been to an orgy. <laughs> Fuck Squatch. Watch it. It's really, really funny. Linguini's played by Lou Romano, whose name might not mean anything to you, but I get the feeling it's going to crop up more in Dunleavy Does Disney because he's in a lot of later Disney films. He's in Cars. He's in The Incredibles. Uh, it's also got Will Arnett is in it, Peter O'Toole, Ian Holm, all of whom have varying degrees of French accent. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Um, <laughs> but who cares about that because it's actually funny. So what's my gripe? Do you fancy a guess? 
Is it? I mean, it's not a guess. It's because I've seen the film. Is it because there is an absolute dearth of women characters? Yeah, there's two women in it. A crazy old lady who appears at the start and our female chef. Now, the latter, played by Janine Garofalo, does explain that women are rare in kitchens, which seems like an excuse. It seems like Disney are making the all Collectors Pixar. have a proper feminist rant about it, though. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that there can't be other women in the film. You Do know, you reckon... the, the food critics could be a woman. The lawyer could be a woman. Any of the rats Some could the rats, be women. Yeah, could be women. Do you reckon she said that at the end after someone pointed it out? And a, do you reckon it was like when Samuel L. Jackson does that bit where he says, I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on the motherfucking plane and they like splice it in retrospectively? Uh, no, no. It, it comes quite early because he, she's given the new guy to like oversee and she basically says to him, you know how hard it is to be a woman in the kitchen, don't fuck me over. It's a great speech. But you kind of feel like if if they were aware of the early doors. Well, you say that. Maybe they felt that was sopping off. Maybe. For the birds. And it, it makes me really angry because, like I say, this film is terrific and therefore it seems like you're looking for something to pick holes in it. But in truth, not having any parts for women in your films is a big deal. Yeah, and it be. should be a big deal. And Disney and Pixar should be bloody well ashamed of themselves this for is, repeatedly putting t- out women-free women content. Um, I had a little gripe. Well, it's not a gripe because um, I, I really love the film, apart from the whole no women in it thing. And that is that is the lack of French accents. Some of the characters have a French accent. Some of them don't. There doesn't seem to be any sort of rhyme or reason as to why some of them are French and some of them aren't, despite you, it being set in Paris. Don't you think that when you watch most films, though? Like, why why have you got a German accent and you haven't? Or, like, why do you all have English accents when you're in, like, you know... There's a lot of American... Clearly, it's an American production company. But the rats are kind of gangstery. I thought one of them was played by James Gandolfini, but he's not. Yeah. But he's that kind of Sopranos-esque yeah. tough guy. Is that his character, though? Yeah, but yeah. these rats are French rats. Well... But then some of the French characters have French accents. The dead chef, he has a French accent. Yeah. The mean chef, he has a French accent. The, Colette has a French accent. The mean chef is interesting because the mean chef, who's played by Ian Holm, looks like Willem Dafoe. And you sometimes wonder whether like there's a, a couple of characters, version. whether they've gone, oh, it wouldn't be great if we got Willem Dafoe. And drawn it. And drawn it. And then ended up not with Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Well, who's Will Arnett? Who does he play? He plays the chef that's got a really weird face, like it's kind of just all fallen in in the middle. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah like uh, I know what you mean. It's like a, a rectangle where all his features have gone straight to the yeah. middle. Yeah. Okay. He doesn't really say very much. No. It seems like they spaffed Will Arnett there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Janine Gruffalo's character is... Gruffalo? That's a, is that right? I'm never quite sure. I, I, th- I think I know how to pronounce it, and then when I finish, I think, did I just say Gruffalo? <laughs> I think it's Gruffalo, isn't it? Gruffalo. Gruffalo, yeah. She's great. She's a great character, and yeah, I really liked her. And Remy is wonderful. He's so endearing, yeah. like the lead character, and because you know it's Pat Oswalt as well. Yeah. It's just, he's just, you're rooting for him all of the time. Can I ask a question? Mm hmm. Um, because obviously rats in kitchens, lols, no one really likes that, do they? What am I going to do? <laughs> in in the real world. Are the rats the people in this world? No. Or no, do they live they... like in a human world? Oh, it's a oh, it's human, human world. world. Does he run a kitchen for humans? Yeah. Yes, oh, He has in. to hide. Like Remy is like, the first thing you see Remy doing is learning hygiene, doesn't he? He teaches his brother yeah. about washing his hands. And, like, and then he, he oh, starts walking on his back paws because he doesn't want to use his paws to walk that he's going to use to make food. Good So basically, idea. they have to, the, Linguini, yeah. the, the new kid on the chopping block, has to smuggle 
Remy in under his hat and that's how he controls him. But then there is a bit. That's the other thing. They could have made the fucking health inspector a woman. Yeah. There's so no it's need ling- for it to be a bloke. Linguini's a human. Yes. Well, yeah, mostly, mostly human. Okay. Right. I did learn a tip from it, actually, which is when... Is it that rats can tie knots? <laughs> no. It's when, when she is teaching him the basics of cooking, she tells him that he has to keep his arms in. And all chefs have their arms in. So they don't get Pourquoi? So they Well, so they don't set fire to their sleeves or they don't get food on their sleeves so that it's more hygienic. It's does it safer. matter if you get food on your sleeves? Well, it does because then if you get a lot of it, you might transfer it into something oh. else. And you might attract rats, which would be terrible. For yeah. <laughs> what score are we giving Ratatouille? Once again, I find myself in the same position that I found myself in with Toy Story in that I love this film. In fact, so much so that it made me wish that I'd watched it as a child mm. or at least... Watched it with a child. Same, yeah. Um, I don't have any. So I would really like to give it five, but I'm not going to because it doesn't have enough women in it. So it's going to get four and a half. Two women is not enough women. Two women is not enough women. Four and a half what? Four and a half croque messieurs out of five. Could it not be a croque madame, Hannah? No, because there's no fucking women in it. (laughs) It's a bit weird with a croque madame, isn't it, that it's just a croque monsieur with an egg? That is basically what women are, though, right? They're just men with eggs. That's all for this week. Thanks very much for downloading and listening. We had a lovely time. Hope you did too. Please join us again next week when we have a gig cast, which we recorded at the Cambridge Junction in January, where we were joined by three excellent women. Excellent number one, Liz Carr. Excellent number two, Jack Munro. And excellent number three, Holly McNish. Hannah and I hosted, and we we had a riot, to be honest with you. There was a lot of chat about potatoes, but it, it made sense of a sort at the time. Anyway, tune in next week to find out if I am lying or not about the sense. The rest of it is all true. Promise. (laughs) Clarky Cat just joined me in the room. He does like to get involved. If you'd like to come and see us live, we have just announced an absolute truckload of doozies when it comes to lineups. Just in the past week, we have announced Nigella Lawson, Jodie Prenger, Vicky McClure, and Rachel Paris. And we have got a few more announcements in the bag, so do keep your ears and eyes peeled for those. You can find out all information about our lineups on the standard issue page of Sarah's website, which is www.sarahmillican.co.uk forward slash standard hyphen issue. Don't miss this week's Sunday Chops when Maddie Hickish talks to author and chef Ruby Tando about her new book, Eat Up. If you like what we do, please do share the love and tell a pal tell a stranger if you work in a shop tell a customer also if you can rate and review us on itunes that is always very much appreciated and really helpful for us five is our favorite number when it comes to stars we have a spotify playlist to accompany this week's podzine and you'll find that on spotify also we will be tweeting the link so that you can join us in celebrating the winter olympics via the medium of music that's right even more treats for your ears we've got a little bit lateral but that's a definite theme the winter and the olympics are the themes definitely and i guess it's only fitting now with all this chat about winter olympics for me to say goodbye and stay frosty Standard issue for all women.